you ever had one of those times in your life when you're going through a crisis, perhaps your mother's sick or something like that, and, and someone whom you love comes alongside you during that crisis time and, and comes to your aid and, and blesses you in certain ways? And then after the crisis is all over, you go up to that person and you say to them, thank you. Thank you for walking with me. Thank you for all that you've done for me. And then they come back with these words. Well, that was the least that I could do. Now, you can take that two different ways, can't you? Uh, you can take it very literally, uh, meaning uh, there was more I could have done for you, but I did the very least that our relationship requires. I did the least that I could do for you. Or, I love you. I love you, and I've walked with you all these years, and I love you so much, you don't have to thank me. I just did the least that I could do for you. So, which way is it? Well, the people during Malachi's day, the people of God, the people of Judah, the people of Israel, uh, they were doing number one. They were doing the least that they could do to love and honor their God. And we see that today, don't we? If you will, if you have your Bibles, turn to chapter um, 1 of Malachi. We're about to get into chapter 3, which is our reading for today. But I want you to look at chapter 1 first. And, and look at verse 2 today, the second part of verse 2. Because it sets the tone for the entire study of Malachi. And here's the tone. I love you. God loves us. It says it right there in his word. He himself says, I have loved you. Oh, how I have loved you. And so that's the tone of the letter. The problem was the people didn't love him in response. They didn't return that love for God. They were skating by doing the least that they could do for God. And that's what the entire book is about, a love letter from God calling them home. Now, they were physically home. Remember, they had been in exile out in Babylon. God had brought them back from exile. They were physically home. God had reconstituted his people, brought them back together. He had rebuilt the temple. They had a church to go to on Sunday morning. So God had done a lot for them, and yet they were doing the least they could for God. They were physically home. They weren't spiritually home yet. And that's what this morning's lesson is about. They were going through the motions with God, doing the least that they could do. So it, just to summarize it, look real briefly at chapter 1, verse 13. You see that thing coming out in them, the least that they could do. In verse 13, it says that worship had become wearisome to them. In other words, it's boring. The sermon's boring. Communion's boring. It's just boring to come and worship your name. So worship was wearisome to them. Uh, later on in chapter 1, verse 6 to 14, it says that their worship lives was reflected in their offerings. In fact, they were offering to God blemished sacrifices, verse 6 to 14. Malignant sheep and blind goats, they were giving to God what they didn't want for themselves. They were taking the trash out and putting it on God's altar, for goodness sake. Number three, chapter 2, verses 1 to 9. Even the priests got involved in this lackadaisical complacency towards God. They were leading the people into complacency. Chapter 2, verse 10 to 17. Divorce had become commonplace amongst God's people. It says that they were taking the brides of their youth, the young, lovely brides that they had when they were young, and as they got older, they treated them treacherously, as King James would put it. 
treacherously. So their moral lies, they were doing the least that they could do. And finally, today in chapter 3, verses 1 to 5, we see that the businessmen of Israel, they were not only not paying a living wage to their employees, but they were mistreating the widows and the orphans and the aliens in their midst. So what does God have against them this morning? Boring worship, giving their leftovers. Their priests are in it for a paycheck, for goodness sake. Don't like my wife? I'll upgrade to a newer model. And my coworkers, well, I will rip them off and mistreat those who are less fortunate than me. You see, all these things that we've read about so far are symptomatic of a bigger problem. And that is a heart issue that the ancient people of Judah had. They, as in Isaiah 29, their people honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me, it says. That was, that's what their problem is, isn't it? So God today says, you got a heart problem, you're far from me, you honor me with your lips, but what I want is your heart. So he says, return to me. Look at chapter 3, verses 7 and 8. From the days of your fathers, you've turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. Return to me, and I'll return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, how shall we return? Will man rob God, God asks? Yet you are robbing me, he says. You say, how have we robbed you? And God puts it point blank in your tithes and your offerings, your contributions. You're robbing me, God says. How? Because you've not given back to me a rightful portion, honor due my name, in response and thanksgiving for all that I've done for you. I have loved you, yet you have not loved me in return. So in verse 10 today, God challenges them. He says, you want to show your love for me, do it in this way. Look at verse 10. It says, bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Show me how much you love me. Give me a thank offering in thanksgiving for all that I've done for you. Present to you, to me, at my altar, your first, your finest, your best, the first fruits of your harvest. You know, we say it as Anglicans every week. But is it just lip service, as Isaiah 29 points out? We say in the Anglican service from Psalm 29, too, every week, Ascribe to the Lord the honor to his name, bring offerings and come into his courts. Is our heart involved? Or is it just lip service that we're paying God? From 1 Chronicles 29, 14, every week we say these words. We take the bread and the wine and the offering plate offered to God, all of our money, to his ministry, to his glory. And we say this from 1 Chronicles 29. All things come of thee, O Lord, and of thine own have we given thee. We're simply giving back a portion of what we have, our time, our talent, and our treasure, back to the glory of God who has done everything for us. That's why God says, return to me, return to me, return to me in your stewardship. So today is about stewardship, honoring God, acknowledging that he's the giver of all good gifts, and returning to him a portion, a thanksgiving portion of all that we've been given. That's what he calls his people to. In verse 8, he says, you've been robbing me. You've been withholding your gift, your thank offering. So that's where the people of Malachi were. That's about stewardship. And here are four ways that stewardship can change your life. If you really return to God and start getting serious about 
connecting your spiritual worship with your physical acts of time, talent, and treasure, here's what it'll do for you. First of all, your first fruits offering will grow your dependence on the Lord. It'll grow your dependence on the Lord alone. You know, in Proverbs 3, 9, we are called to honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of your produce. Now, that may not mean much to us, but to a farmer, that means a lot, right? If you got a bumper crop in the spring, and God says, honor me with 10% of all that I've given you, and you give 10% away, who knows if you'll have enough for your family at the end of the season. You know, if you give 10% away, goodness knows, the locusts could come, you could have a drought later on. So what you're saying is, I'm going to trust you with the first 10%. And I'm going to trust for your providence tomorrow. I know that you're good, God. I'll trust you in that. Isn't that why Jesus says, give us this day our daily bread? Isn't that our prayer? Not that you'll give us so much abundance that we won't have to trust you tomorrow. But we trust you today. And, and we know that you're God of tomorrow as well. Remember in Exodus, the, the people of Israel had just gotten out of bondage. They're wandering in the desert. And God and the wilderness gives them manna from heaven. And he says, take enough for you and your family for one day. And trust me for tomorrow that I'll provide for you. And, and remember what happened to those people that hoarded their wealth and stored it up for themselves and didn't trust God for tomorrow? The manna got spoiled and rancid and was sickening to them. You see, that's what happens when we don't trust God with our finances, with our generosity, with our wealth. So first fruits giving increases our dependence on God. Second thing it does is it is a sign of our worship life before God. It presents true worship. Deuteronomy 23, 23 says, whatever your lips utter, you must do, because that is a vow freely made to your Lord with your mouth. In other words, our stewardship, our gifts, are a free will offering. They're given totally to God's glory. Now, we live in a consumer culture, right? Everything that you buy at Walmart, you buy because you need it. It's to bless you. Stewardship is one of the few times in your life when you can say, I am giving to the Lord God, and he can do with it as he pleases. It is a free will offering. No strings attached. And yet, how many times in the church do we say, okay, if you have a good youth group, then I will give generously. If you have a great praise group, then I will give generously to the things of God. It's a conditional relationship. Only in stewardship can you say, Lord, I love you. This isn't based on conditions. I'm not trying to do the least that I can do. I am doing this because I love you. No other reason. So it's an act of worship. Our stewardship also reveals where your heart is with God. Jesus will later say in Luke chapter 12, verse 34, where your treasure is, there your heart will be as well. And so it's a good litmus test. It's an audit. It's an accounting of where your heart is. There's one person this week that I had the pleasure of being, um, hearing the story of, uh, one of our life groups, Wednesday night, and I won't reveal any names, but this person said that she grew up in this church, and she said, I used to go to church and when I miss church, I would feel guilty. I'd feel guilty. That's the law. That's the least that you can do. But now I go to church, and when I miss church, I feel disappointed. 
You see, it went from guilt, law, to disappointment, love. And isn't that what our stewardship does? Where your treasure is, there your heart will be as well. The more you invest in the things of God, the more your heart will fall passionately in love with God. Jesus said it. I didn't. Number four, Jesus says your stewardship reveals who your God is. Reveals who your God is. In Matthew 6, 24, Jesus says nobody can serve two masters. Either you'll love the one and hate the other or be devoted to one and despise the other. He said you cannot serve both God and money at the same time. Jesus said it, not me. He says you've got a constant battle in your life. From the very time that you're born, will you worship the wealth and the created order around you, or will you worship the Most High God and give Him honor and praise? Remember what the people of Malachi were doing? They were cutting the last check of the month to God. They were giving God their leftovers, keeping the best portions for themselves, and giving God their trash, the stuff they didn't want or didn't need. You see, stewardship breaks that habit. It reveals our true love. Will it be God or our wealth? Giving generously breaks that pattern. The word in, um, in Malachi today is tithe. And remember, um, tithe means 10%. So in verse 10 it says, bring a full tithe into the storehouse. Now, most of us say we give a tithe meaning we give a contribution to the church. Uh, but tithe is actually from the ancient Hebrew, and it means one-tenth. And so while that is not legalism, it's not the least we can do, it is a good starting place with God. In fact, during Malachi's day, they gave a, a contribution to the temple priests. They gave a contribution to the high holy days. They gave a contribution to the poor and the widows and the broken down, the people who were impoverished. So they were given about 23% of their income. So tithe is a great place to start. Jesus, God says, bring a full tithe into my storehouse so that I may provide. And so in Malachi's day, they were asked to do even more than that. But Jesus complicates it more even. In Luke 18, he says to this poor rich guy, go and sell all that you have and then come and follow me. Wow, sell all that I have? He also says in Matthew 23, 23 to the Pharisees, he said, you give a tithe, but that's not your problem. You give 10% of your mint and your dill and your cumin, which is good. But Jesus says, you've neglected the more important things, justice and mercy and faithfulness. In other words, you can give 10%, and if it doesn't affect your heart, it's not really what God's looking for. In Malachi, God says, return to me. He doesn't just want your money. He wants your heart. But the one thing that Jesus says is that your heart oftentimes follows your investments. And that's just how it goes. Did you know that Jesus talked more about the stewardship of personal finances than he did about prayer? That's how important stewardship is to Jesus. It is as important as prayer because he wants our hearts. So God says in verse 10, look at that one more time of chapter 3. Bring the full tithe, 10%, into my storehouse that there may be food in my house, and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. Put him to the test. The only time in all the Bible where God says, test me, test me, test me, take a step forward, put forth the first check of the month, 
See if I don't provide for your needs. If your family goes broke, then stop tithing, but test me. Take a leap of faith. Get out of the boat. Put your trust in me. I'll give you enough for today, and I'll give you enough for tomorrow. So test me, God says, and see if I don't pour down blessings. Those are spiritual blessings. You know, that whole idea of give more to the church, and God's going to give more to you. We'll leave that to Joel Osteen and the prosperity gospel. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about our hearts, and that's what God wants. God just knows that oftentimes our hearts are tied to our investments. You can't serve God and money at the same time. In fact, um, it's interesting in verse, chapter 1, uh, God says to the people, you give an offering to me that your governor would be ashamed to accept. You ever think about that? I mean, rarely do you get to the end of the tax year and say, okay, Uncle Sam, I know this is what you expect of me, but I'm going to give far less than what you expect. We, we give to the government what they expect. Uh, we give to a waitress if she's done a fine job or he's done a waiter done a fine job at our meal. We'll easily put 20% down for that waiter or waitress in th- as a thank offering for what he or she has done, right? Why not when it comes to God? Why don't we bring a tithe? It's really the least that we could do, but that's not even what it's about, is it? It's about the heart. It's about saying, I love you. You've walked with me. You've blessed me. You've kept me through times of crisis, through good and plenty. God, you died for me on the cross. The least I could do for you is 10%. Paul says it best. He said, we're no longer under the compulsion of the law. We're under grace. And our giving reflects that relationship. I'll end with this. 2 Corinthians 9, 7. Paul says, each one must give as he's decided in his heart. Remember, it's all about the heart. Not reluctantly, nor under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. You see, it's about the heart. And God says to us today, return to me. And the people say, how can we return to you? In praise music? Yes. In Bible study? Yes. In ministry? Yes. In in what we can do for the poor and the widows and orphans? Yes. But the first thing he says is get your finances right. Return to me a portion of all that I've given as a thank offering for all that I've done for you. I pray that as we consider 2016, moving forward in faith together as a church at St. Paul's, the body of Christ, you'll pray earnestly about giving a first fruits gift to God. Whatever that sacrifice may look like for you, I don't presume to know, but that you may honor him with your time, your talent, and your treasure. To God be the glory who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.